Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. All right, this is it. Let's do it. It's another stud cast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. What's up, everybody? I'm David Summers. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. So now, we step back into the ring and back into time with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. What's happening, Ron? Oh, geez, man. Great day here. A little cloudy, a little cloudy, uh, but temperature is pretty nice. And uh, leaves are just about gone, man. Crazy. A uh, lot of difference between this fall and last fall, in which the leaves stayed out. Uh, they were pretty good on into November, and <laughs> they're like they're about gone this time. But uh, it's still beautiful, man. And, uh, so how are you doing down there? Oh, we're good. But does does that mean the Tennessee colors, the fall colors have turned to brown now? Well, they're pretty, you know, they're they're not as colorful as they were, right. say, two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. a lot of the leaves are gone. But uh, yeah. we got a freeze, man, which is really unusual. We got a freeze two nights in a row. And wow. I think that really changed the deal, man. Yeah, we haven't been there yet here in southeast Alabama and Dothan, just just outside of Dothan and Webb. And but but we're getting some fall, and so it's feeling really nice. The middle of the day it might be eighty two degrees, but you're you're closer to the sun, so I don't see why it's not warmer there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All here, right, boy, I got a little altitude here. <laughs> yeah. Not not that not enough to make a big difference, I don't think. Man. Every time I see you on Facebook, one of your social media deals, you're always standing in some beautiful picturesque postcard spot, so it's envious. And hey, listen, you've been doing a lot of you've been doing a lot of work lately, fine tuning and honing this incredible stud cast. Here we go with episode number two seventy three. And before we get started, Ron, I know some fans have been having a hard time finding the stud cast every week because occasionally we change the day on which it's released. Well, basically, that's that's my fault, uh, Dave. Uh, you know, it's due to my research. Uh, you know, and I, I spend a lot of time researching every episode, and, uh, and I put a lot of time into it, and uh, I want to be as accurate as possible as I can on the events, uh, the TV shows, the angles, uh, and the wrestling history that was taking place about uh, more than 40 years ago, man. So to make it easier to find us from now on, uh, we're going to try to release every new studcast on Wednesdays of every week so the fans will know when to expect it and when to look for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, studcasts are, are like my TV wrestling shows from the 1970s and 80s. Uh, each studcast, unless it's a special edition, which we do every once in a while, mm-hmm. a special mm-hmm. number, 250, 200, whatever it might be. Uh, but... Uh, Normally, it's kind of like my old TV shows, and it's a continuing story. Each one of these studcasts is just like the TV shows of Southeastern, Continental, Mm -hmm. USA. So basically, the bottom line is Wednesday is going to be the release day for every one of them from now on as as much as we can uh, make that happen. Well, I know you interact with the fans on a regular basis on your social media, and I, it, it's all about making the fans happy. If that's what does it, then boom, let's do it. So, And speaking of Studcast, I can't believe we're finishing October in 1978 today, almost exactly 44 years from this date in 2022. So your two territories – Filled with great wrestlers, great angles, great future. 
definitely ahead. Our downloads worldwide indicate fans in record numbers, enjoying every new Studcast now. So maybe that's because with two very successful Southeastern wrestling operations in 1978, twice as much intrigue. Yep, that's uh, that's definitely the case, my man. And, uh, you know, the basically the intrigue, man, uh, uh, for fans today has increased, uh, no doubt. But it was kind of a nightmare for me in 1978. I was dealing with so much, and it had been by far the busiest year in my wrestling career. I'd wrestled more times and traveled more miles than ever before in my eight years in the business at this point mm. in my life. And, and I was about to get a brief break from the constant pressure of not just one, but two territories, man. Wow. Hey, I got to admit too, Ron, I've always looked forward to seeing the title for each new studcast every week as, as you send out the preparation notes. So today's number 273 is certainly no exception. It's called Tennessee, Tanaka gone, and Alabama, two losers leave. Talk about intrigue. I mean, Tanaka just got to Knoxville a month earlier, maybe. And I assume from the title, he's already leaving southeastern Knoxville. What? What is going on there? In the Gulf Coast, you got Robert Gibson, lost a loser leaves match last week, and now two more wrestlers were leaving the Southeastern Gulf Coast territory this week, too. What's going on, Ron? <laughs> well, it's <laughs> Halloween week, Dave. Right? <laughs> so, so I guess anything can happen, my man. I, I, I guess you're right. I mean, I'm ready to get some answers to these questions. So, and there's a lot of them. So where do we ride to first today, stud? Well, why don't we start in Tennessee this week uh, with the card from Knoxville, uh, Friday night, October 27, 1978, just a few days before Halloween. Uh, and then we'll break down the TV to, to promote that card. Uh, we'll talk about the results of that card and we'll give the fans the attendance for that card. And uh, then we're going to ride south, uh, into southeastern Gulf Coast, where they had another great card. And for the first time in southeastern history, there's going to be two loser leave matches on the same card. And uh, we're going to find out who are the two stars in that territory that's going to get eliminated. Mm -hmm. We'll look at the TV that promoted the great card. And this one was in three major cities, as they usually were down there. Uh, the results, we'll talk about the results of that card and the attendance uh, in those cities. So, uh, and given enough time, man, we're going to do another learning tree. We'll maybe have a time to get to one this week. Uh, so we'll look forward to that, too. Yeah, we'll see if we can fit that in there. All right. So, listen, I got to tell you, I'm I'm really looking forward to this one, Ron. So let's uh, can we start with the card in Knoxville? As wrestling returned to the Coliseum in Knoxville, Friday, October 27th, 1978. Okay, uh, Mike Stallings, uh, he opened this card up against uh, Tony Peters, who was a guy from up in that uh, Tri-City area, Johnson City, Kingsport, and Bristol area. Uh, and uh, then another really new, new, new talented uh, newcomer that had been there, actually had worked on the card one month previously, and then he was gone. But he is back, and he's going to be in there for a longer period of time this time. Uh, and that's Dennis Hall. And he was taking on uh, Hippie Mike Boyette. Uh, Terry Gibbs faced off against Ken Dillinger, uh, which, uh, you know, Dillinger was the wrestler that, uh, you know, last week uh, tried to get Ron Wright's bounty on Kevin Sullivan, but it didn't happen. And uh, speaking of the bounty, the next match was a bounty match. One specifically ordered by Southeastern Wrestling officials, which uh, is really different. Uh, Ron Wright had been offering a bounty to get Kevin Sullivan sent to the hospital. So Southeastern officials felt like uh, since since he was not going to be withdrawing his bounty, that he should have to be in the ring maybe. So, so Kevin Sullivan is going to be partnered with Tor Tanaka to face Ron Wright's destroyer. And the man behind the mm. bounty himself, Ron Wright's going to be in the ring too. Mm. All right. So Ron, so Ron Wright was going to be back in the ring because of his bounty. Yeah. I think <laughs> that, uh, that was the point. And, uh, you know, like right. this point, Bob Roop's doing the booking, but, uh, you know, it, it made sense. 
So uh, then Jimmy Golden, let's uh, get over to the next match. Then Jimmy Golden and Rip Smith, uh, they were getting another shot at Ron Wright's tag champions. Ron Wright seemed to be involved in pretty much everything. Uh, that was Dennis Connery and Phil Hickerson, uh, and Wright was going to be in their corner. The main event was going to be for the Southeastern Championship, and it featured a special referee. Uh, Ronnie Garvin is going to be facing off against the great Malenko, which he had been wrestling several different times in that past month. But the special referee was going to be Tora Tanaka. Whoa. Okay, so that that's a pretty good six-match six card stud. Tanaka featured in two of those matches, one with Ron Wright having to wrestle in the bounty match, and then Tanaka is referee in the main event for the Southeastern Bell. All right, so how did you set all this up, like on the TV show, six days before this card? Great place to get it all set up. What was that like? Well, man, it opened with Ron Wright and, uh, and his new tag champions. They had regained their belts the night before. Uh, Dennis Condry and Phil Higgerson were on the set, obviously, with Les and, uh, and Ron Wright. And they were standing behind Ron Wright. They had their belts on. And, uh, and, uh, and there, there was a big, huge, uh, as usual, still shot in the background there of Ron Wright holding up the hands of his champions in the air. They had their belts with them. Uh, and Wright, you know, started off as he always does. I think he jumped right less, uh, you know, uh, when we talked about this uh, show. Les said, you know, he jumped right in front of him as usual. And he started bragging about how proud he was of his boys. And they're having regained the belts in their very first rematch. And then uh, and he thought uh, that he thought his moment of stardom was over and then uh, started to get up. You know, and and leave the set. Mm-hmm. You know, and Les says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait a minute! Uh, you know, uh, we're just getting started here. Uh, you know, and and uh, and he says, you know, that this is more than just a celebration of your champions here, Ron. He <laughs> goes, uh, now we're going to watch how you your champions won the belt. So you know, <laughs> then Les had him back up the video and uh, started uh, again and. Uh, and uh, Ron Wright uh, obviously was going to be involved with his chisel in this finish. <laughs> so Wright, Wright, as usual, he didn't want to watch it, knowing what was coming. And he tried to have, have him stop. The director, hey, well, we don't need to really watch that because it was going to show him hit Jimmy Golden with his chisel. So Les jumped on it, man. He asked Wright uh, why that happened, uh, when it occurred in the video, as soon as it happened, you know, and uh, – his excuse for it uh, was very blunt and honest for a change, Wright's excuse. He said the fact that Golden and Smith had agreed to a no-DQ title match, he said, they opened the door for me. They had allowed me to do anything I wanted to help my team win. And then he said the video showed Jimmy Golden, uh, you know, at this point, uh, knocked unconscious, pretty much uh, uh, very bloody. Uh, you didn't get hit with that chisel without bleeding. And, uh, and he got counted out. So then Wright excused himself <laughs> again, and he got up to leave again. And Les called him back again. So this time Wright came back. Uh, Les said he was a little perturbed, but he took a seat again. And then Les informed him that his team was going to be having to face Jimmy Golden and Rip Smith again the following Friday night, again for the championship belts. And uh, he said, uh, this time things change a little bit, Ron. He says, you're barred from ringside, and the belts can change hands on a disqualification. <laughs> so, oh, boy. As you can imagine, Ron Wright exploded, man. And the, and the studio audience exploded with laughter, <laughs> let's say. <laughs> so uh, Wright started screaming, as he, as he normally did when he had a problem. And Les was prepared for it. And he <laughs> threw it to Phil Rainey in the ring. For the introduction of the first match of the show. <laughs> so fans exploded again, man, because uh, Jimmy Golden and Rip Smith were the two guys that came to the ring. And they got a big win. Uh, obviously, uh, didn't make any difference who they were wrestling. If they weren't uh, main eventers, they were going to get a win. And uh, they good enough win that they pinned both of their opponents less set at the same time. And then they went to the set with Les. Uh, they were extremely happy, obviously, to hear and, and much appreciated the Southeastern officials give them a return match. Uh, and especially they liked the fact that Ron Wright wasn't going to be at ringside 
and also that they could win the belts by a disqualification on the other team. So Ron Wright, Studio B, he was still extremely angry about the entire thing, uh, about his team having to defend again uh, right after they'd won it, and his being barred from ringside, and the fact that they could lose the belt if they got disqualified. So he wasn't going to like the next segment of the show any better, Dave. <laughs> so he was still involved in everything, literally everything, like we talked about last week. I can hardly wait to see how he reacts to the news about the upcoming bounty match. <laughs> yeah. So so the next day, he doesn't know that yet. So the next right. segment of the show started with Les. And he invited Ron Wright back out to the set again. So Wright arrived, and he started right in, assuming Southeastern officials had had a change of heart and were going to now allow him to be at ringside for his team's title defense. He thought he came there prepared to, you know, say, hey, I'm going to forgive everybody, and this is cool. I'm all right now. But instead, Les asked the director to show the end of the bounty match from the night before. And it started with Wright's mass destroyer in the ring and uh, in the match that uh, he wasn't supposed to be involved in at all. Destroyer wasn't booked in that match. It was uh, Kevin Sullivan against against the, the Ken Dillinger. So uh, there it shows, uh, as soon as this match gets started, you see the Destroyer in the ring, and uh, Kevin Sullivan is draped over the Destroyer's shoulder. He's about to give him, man, the, the shoulder breaker that was sent few people to the hospital, uh, Jimmy Golden's father to be w- one of them. Uh, so Ron Wright started screaming at Les, you know, uh, asking why he was out here saying, you know, I got, I got nothing to do with that match, you know? And so, and he asked, so why, why am I ordered to come back out here again? And he pointed out that he wasn't even in the video shot. And he asked, where was Tora Tanaka? He was also involved in that match. He came and got down involved in that match. <laughs> so Les told the director to stop the video. He asked Ron Wright if maybe his $5,000 bounty match, his $5,000 bounty on Kevin Sullivan, had anything to do with what was happening in that match. (laughs) So so, so Wright started to answer, but Les got down to business, and he continued. uh, Les said, I had my opportunity, Ron. I better jump on it. And he said, he told him that Southeastern officials had told Ron many times that he needed to remove his bounty on Kevin Sullivan, but yet it was still there. And that now uh, Wright had already negotiated another bounty match for the next Friday night, the destroyer against Kevin Sullivan. So Ron suddenly, you know, he, he kind of uh, got a little happy again, you know, and uh, he said, uh, you know, that, that's okay. You know, uh, you know, that about the bounty he goes, this will be the last one because my destroyer is going to get the job done this time, and he's finally going to send that Yankee from Boston to the hospital. So uh, he, he was fairly happy at this point. So Les told him, you know, um, you might not celebrate too quickly, Ron. He goes, uh, there has been a slight change in that destroyer versus Sullivan match for next Friday. And, uh, and then he told him that Don Curtis had changed it to a tag match, that Kevin Sullivan was now going to be partnered with Tora Tanaka, and uh, Wright started laughing. <laughs> He's saying, uh, why should I be upset with that? He goes, my destroyer can beat both of those guys at the same time. So Les said, I, I think you're going to be upset with uh, when you find out who the destroyer's partner is for the match. So Ron Wright, he was he was in a good mood at this point. He uh-huh. smiled at Les and he asked, so, so okay, who is it? And Les said, it's you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Wright exploded again, man. He can't shout. They can't do that. I'm not. I'm in non-wrestling shape. I haven't been to ring to wrestle in months. I've got to talk to my lawyer about this. He brought his lawyer into this into the <laughs> television show, and uh, then uh, suddenly the destroyer showed up on the set, kind of console old Ron. He's really having a problem with this. Like he's got to. I can't believe I got to be in the ring. So then uh, Les said to him, you know. I'm happy to see you join us, talking to the destroyer. And he said, uh, I think you're also going to love our next team on, that's going to be in the ring. The bell rang, and out came Tor Tanaka and Kevin Sullivan. Well, the studio obviously erupted in cheers, man. Uh, 
Condry Nickerson joined the destroyer at the set, and uh, Ron Wright was just livid at this point. They had to drag him screaming away from the set back to the dressing room. So Les told me that, uh, you know, uh, Tanaka and Sullivan tore the roof off that studio, man. Uh, uh, Sullivan was really over at this point. Tanaka was always over. And so they did it again, you know, at the set. Once they went to the interview, Les said, they tore it up again. And uh, mm-hmm. he said they finished talking about their opponents and started the next interview, talking about both of them having an opportunity the next Friday night to get their hands on Ron Wright for a mm-hmm. change instead of him sneaking up behind somebody. Wow. So Les said uh, Ron Wright was over there in Studio B for this interview. He had his men with him. And uh, and he told fans that they knew uh, what he was capable of. He he was calm. He he had calmed down. Les said he wasn't screaming at all. He was like something that happened in the dressing room that he got to thinking about uh, all of this, and he kind of changed his attitude. And he told fans mm. that everybody out there knew what he was capable of, and he was about to blow their minds next Friday night. <laughs> You kind of got to take him at his word for that. All right, so listen, I wasn't expecting that kind of an interview after all that from Ron Wright. So I can't wait to hear more about that match. So what about the personality profile on this show? What was that? Who was that? Well, it was the next thing up, obviously. And uh, the heels, man, who had really so far in the show taken a beating. Uh, so it didn't change from the profile either. It was done live. Uh, with the smiling great Malenko, who came out wearing his Southeastern belt and carrying his Southeastern TV championship trophy. And uh, and he had been both Southeastern and Southeastern TV champion for about six weeks at this point. Uh, he, he was really, really dominating. Everything had been going his way. And he was defending again the following Friday night against Ronnie Garvin, but he was unaware of who was going to be referee in the title match. Nobody had mentioned that to him yet. So when Les informed him that Tor Tanaka, who had wrestled against him for the title and also in a Russian death match, tag match uh, the, in the last two weeks, was going to be the referee in the title match with Garvin. Well, man, you can imagine how that changed his attitude. He, he became pretty wild, kind of like uh, Ron Wright had been in, in the earlier part of the show. So according to Les Malenko, man, he, he took it all out on his opponent. He was the next guy in the ring. As soon as the profile was over, he went in there. And this time he went far beyond just stomping his opponent senseless like he normally did. He left this this wrestler bloody, unconscious, and this guy had to be carried from the ring. So. <laughs> Wow. You know, wow. He, he, he made a real point of showing how, how he felt about uh, Tanaka being a special referee in a championship match in which he's having to wrestle Garvin, too. Hmm. So then Malenko took the entire third interview, and uh, he, he was saying how the, re- the referee news made him think now he was thinking about leaving this country and returning to the motherland in Russia. And, uh, and especially now that it, this wrestling company was obviously so one-sided as to make uh, a wrestler that had lost to him two straight weeks in a row the referee in his championship match, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> he did uh-huh. have a little bit of a good point there, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, then uh, Ronnie Garvin uh, took the last match in the show. He finished the TV, obviously, jumping off the top rope into another guy's throat. <laughs> And then he prepared the audience, man, for what was going to be the most unusual Southeastern Championship match the following Friday night. Man. Wow. Okay, so easily, that's a great TV leading up to Ron Wright's tag team surprise and an extremely odd choice of referee the next live event. So what happened Friday, October 27th, 1978? Well, Mike Stallings... Uh, who was in his first month back in Knoxville, got his fourth victory in a row, uh, beating Tony Peters. Uh, He was off to a real good start since his return. Dennis Hall, who had been in Knoxville one week, about a month earlier, 
got his first ever Southeastern victory against Mike Boyett. And Mike Boyett, hippie Mike Boyett, was making his last appearance in Southeastern wrestling ever, as a matter of fact. And uh, then a very talented Terry Gibbs, and who had been there for a month, uh, he duplicated what Mike Stallings had. Uh, he got his fourth victory in a row in Knoxville. And uh, this time it was over Ken Dillinger, pretty darn good opponent at this point. So uh, Terry Gibbs got a future there. Uh, the special ref, the special match uh, ordered by Southeastern officials due to Ron Wright's bounty matches was the shocker of the night, Dave. I mean, uh, Wright and his partner, mm -hmm. the Destroyer, they were having a hard time keeping seven, Kevin Sullivan down. In spite of the fact that Kevin was handling most of the wrestling for his team hmm. uh, that night, until it appeared uh, Sullivan was going to get a win outright, beat basically both of those guys right in the middle of the ring. And when that happened, uh, Tor Tanaka silenced the Coliseum, man. When everyone was on their feet and cheering Kevin, uh, Tanaka attacked Kevin as he was going for the pin. Uh -uh. He, left, he left him laying, man. And uh, went to the dressing room. Wow. Wow. And the destroyer, uh, who most knew was Bob Roop at this point, uh, finished Kevin off. He jerked him up, uh, put him over his shoulder, and he gave him that shoulder breaker. He also gave him a trip to the hospital. And uh, Kevin Sullivan was admitted to the hospital. Spent two days in there, as a matter of fact, from the shoulder breaker. Wow. Wow. So then uh, later that night, uh, a video was shot in the back of the Coliseum. Ron Wright was paying off Tor Tanaka and the Destroyer the $5,000 bounty, bounty money for putting Kevin Sullivan in the hospital. Whoa. All right. Now, I didn't see that coming. Tanaka had been back for only about five weeks or so and was really over as a fan favorite. And all of a sudden, boom, it goes the other way. Right. Well, you know, Dave, the more a wrestler was over, man, and the better the surprise was uh, when it happened. I if can see yeah. over, and then it happens. People don't expect it at all. Yeah. And obviously, when that happens, that's that's the way a great turn is made. Uh, baby face to heel, or heel to baby face. Yeah. And uh, the results of a turn like that are usually money, man. Wow. And wow. and then to the add to the intrigue of all this, Tanaka was going to disappear. That night, for almost two months, hmm. he's not going to come back at all. And he's going to be replaced by a former star in the Knoxville area from before I even arrived there, a close friend of Kevin's that uh, was making his first ever appearance for Southeastern, the great Ken Lucas, man, was wow. coming in to back Kevin Sullivan up. Man, I grew up watching Ken Lucas, one of the most gifted athletes I had ever seen as a kid. And I'm telling you, Tanaka was being replaced by a huge star in the old Gulf, Gulf Coast territory, as, as well as Knoxville, when you're talking about Ken Lucas. They just keep coming, stud. It's like you just keep reloading. So, all right. So what about the last two matches? Well, the Southeastern tag belts were at stake. Uh, Ron Wright was barred from ringside. And if Dennis Condry or Phil Hickerson got disqualified, they lost the belts. So the championship match really showed the power of this team, man. When they had to and under these adverse circumstances, uh, without their manager, uh, they stole the match from Jimmy Golden and Rip Smith. Uh, they used a foreign object. Dennis Convey did. He didn't need Ron Wright's chisel. He had his own <laughs> somewhat chisel. And uh, he ended up uh, smacking Golden with it again and uh, for the second week in a row. Uh, Jimmy Golden got knocked out, and uh, wow, he was really having a tough time. Main event had some surprise in it as well. Uh, Malenko brought his belt to the ring. Obviously, he's defending the championship. Uh, Garvin arrived to the ring shortly after, uh, but there was no referee to be found. Uh, Tor Tanako was supposed to be the referee. So then finally, after uh, two or three minutes, uh, both these wrestlers standing of, on the opposite sides of the ring looking at each other, uh, Tanaka made his entrance through the back of the Coliseum and mm -hmm. that big old black curtain, and uh, he started down to the ring. But Les said the instant that he made his appearance, the Coliseum exploded in booze. 
because they had seen what he had did, done to Kevin Sullivan a couple matches earlier. And uh, Les said the closer that he got to the ring, the louder the roar became, man, of disapproval, man. They were really angry at, at Tanaka. Mm-hmm. And uh, Les said he never got to the ring, uh, but he got close, and then he just turned around and then went right straight back through the black curtain of the Coliseum, and he disappeared. Uh, obviously, he was headed for the dressing room. So then uh, Les said to crowd, uh, nor the wrestlers in the ring. They didn't know what to expect from there. I mean, mm. he's supposed to be the special referee. He's gone back to the dressing room. So Mac McMurray, who had been the head referee since Southeastern came, came since we came to Knoxville, he came to mm-hmm. Knoxville with me out of Florida. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he had been the head referee for years at this point. And uh, he probably, for the first time in his career, they said, they said he got a huge career, a huge cheer from the audience. Mac did when he came to the ring and and everybody <laughs> loved it except for Malenko who tried to leave the ring. Malenko, you know, at this point, he found out that what Tanaka had done, he thought, wow, <laughs> you know, he's the guy I want now, you know? So uh, now he sees that Mac's going to take over and he tried to leave the ring and he tried to return to the dressing room. And uh, hmm. so Garvin saw it. And, uh, man, he wasn't going to allow that to happen. So he cut him off from the dressing room. Uh, they were out there in the, in the, on the ringside, man, uh, where all the ringside people were, right next to where the crowd was. Within a few feet of the dressing room, Garvin stopped him. And uh, their match began right there on the Coliseum floor, man. They started fighting right there. Wow. And, uh, and they worked its way back to the ring, and both men were bloodied and uh, <laughs> And it, the contest ended in a match ended in a no contest. And uh, Mac Murray was knocked down several times before he finally decided that he had nothing. He could do nothing but stop the match. Wow. Wow. Okay. So it sounds like a, a really tough night for Kevin Sullivan. So what happened at the hospital, Ron? And, and when do you have time after that? Like, what was attendance for the evening? Well, his x-rays, man, were negative. You know, obviously they take x-rays first mm-hmm. to see if there's any bones or they had a problem with, that, with a broken bone. But uh, he did have some muscles that were torn. And uh, and he was there, like I said, for a couple of days. He wow. was in the hospital wow. for a couple of days. Uh, so we'll be talking more about that later, you know. Uh, but the attendance was 4,900, almost 1,000 more than it was the week before in Chilhowee Park because mm-hmm. that's a smaller building there. And just below 5,000. Still a pretty darn good crowd for for that time of year. Oh, no doubt. Okay, so look, a great start to this one and a great time to take a break. Let's do that. We're going to return to Southeastern Gulf Coast with a truly spectacular card. Two loser leaves matches plus two championship matches coming up next on this studcast hey studcast fans we want to thank all of our listeners ron is working harder than ever to bring you the very best recollection of what his two wrestling companies were doing every week 44 years ago what he's presenting every week has never been done on any wrestling podcast anywhere listeners are getting a historic look at the one and only two territory operation in the history of the sport This episode is a great example of just how difficult it was to provide fans from the Gulf Coast into the state of Kentucky with some of the greatest wrestlers and wrestling of all time. We're proud to be able to do something totally unique and appreciate your comments and support. Without you, there would be no studcast and this history would be lost. We invite you to enjoy every studcast and super studcast as well on tnstud.com, along with so much more. Thanks for writing with the Tennessee Stud. All right, welcome back once again to another studcast with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller, episode number 273 called Tennessee Tanaka Gone, Alabama, Two Losers Leave. And I think we're about to find out more about that. So, this is going to be the last part of today's studcast, but it may also be the biggest card yet. Just hearing that it has, this thing has two loser leave matches, two title matches. So how about the total card for the three major cities in Southeastern Gulf Coast, the week of October 23rd through 29th, 
1978? Well, my cousin Roy Lee Welch, uh, who had been handling the box offices since uh, we started the southeastern Gulf Coast Territory in March of 1978, uh, we're finally putting him in the ring, man. He's, he's not wrestled in months and months. Uh, he's been uh, taking care of business, man, uh, and a very important business, obviously, handling box office. And uh, so he opened the night against Gorgeous George Jr., which uh, that's a great opening match right there. Uh, Ron Roy was really, really great wrestler. And, uh, wow, good good opening match. Uh, this card is a really amazing card, actually. Uh, Ricky Fields, who is another Welch family member, uh, Lee Fields' son, uh, and related to the Welches, uh, was taking on Norvell Austin. Uh, and uh, then uh, in a Southeastern Championship tag match, Bob Armstrong and Tony Charles, the champions, were defending against David Schultz and a newcomer called Sir Winston, who was another highly regarded European star from England, man. So, you know, we got Tony Charles. Now we've got another English great, uh, Sir Winston, coming in as well. Then the Southeastern Championship match was another great one. Mr. Wrestling number two versus the champion, Mongolian Stomper, managed by Gorgeous George Jr. Uh, then two back-to-back loser-leave matches. Uh, the first was Robert and my dad, Buddy Fuller, versus the Assassins, managed by Billy Spears. The loser of the fall in that match had to leave Southeastern Gulf Coast. Uh, the last match was another loser-leave match. Don Carson was facing off against me. Okay, so undoubtedly this had to be the best and most important card in Southeastern Gulf Coast history so far. I mean, a whole lot is at stake on this card. So what about the TV Saturday, October 21st, 1978, that sets up this card for Montgomery, Mobile, and Dothan? Well, Charlie opened the show with Robert and my dad at the set. And uh, they were there to watch a video uh, from an almost sold-out building in Dothan the night before. Uh, been a big crowd there, a big card the week before. This one is even bigger. And uh, so uh, they're going to watch this video. And the video showed uh, both assassins coming down. It was a match. The match they were showing was Robert against Don Carson in an I Quit match. So uh, they showed the assassins coming down to the aid of Don Carson. The referee had gotten knocked down, and the assassins, both of them came in. They both piledrive Rob, uh, left him pretty much unconscious, and, uh, and then they left the ring. Then Carson crawled over during the video here. He wrapped his arms around Rob's neck, and he had to crawl over because Rob had put him in the fuller leg lock, and he wasn't able to stand up. <laughs> his, his, his knee was gone. So he crawled over, wrapped his arms around Rob's neck, and he acted like he had put him out with the sleeper hole. <laughs> and then the ref finally crawled back in the ring. He got knocked out of the ring con- completely. And when he crawled over, he lifted Rob's arm. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, first he, had, he took the microphone and he put it down there for Rob to say, I quit. And he realized that Rob was pretty much unconscious. So then he took lifted his arm, he dropped it three times, which was the scenario uh, if you had a sleeper hold on a guy. And uh, that's what he thought that Carson had put on him, and that's why he thought he was asleep, probably. Uh, then he, he, Rob dropped his arm three times, the referee rang the bell, he stopped the match, and he raised Don Carson's hand uh, in victory. So my father, uh, he watched this, and he really hadn't had much to say. Rob was doing most of the talking, and then my dad immediately apologized for what the fans had just seen. And he said, you know, I was visiting my sons, and uh, and I was in the building. And he, he goes, but I didn't expect that type of thing to happen. And he said, uh, you know, and, and later on in the last match of that night, uh, something similar happened to my other son. And uh, and, and then he told, he told Charlie, he said, you know, uh, uh, you know, I want to help these boys. And, uh, you know, and, and he goes, uh, 
but I don't, I'm not sure how the promoters feel here about uh, about that. But, uh, you know, he said, I, I've decided I'm going to get involved here. Uh, and and I'm going to do it sooner rather than later because uh, this looks like a bad situation uh, could be on the horizon. So and then he said, you know, uh, I haven't been in the ring in almost five years, Charlie. And uh, he said, but but I'm willing to team with Robert. And uh, and if uh, if I lose, he goes, uh, I'm going to leave the Gulf Coast and I won't be back for a year. That's what the contract is going to say. And he said, but if one of the assassins loses the match, they're going to have to leave this part of the country for a year or two. So the studio popped. They had an opportunity here, man, to get an assassin out of the picture. And uh, so they got an even bigger treat then when Rob and Dad, they went straight from this interview right in the ring. They wrestled the first match on the, on the TV. And uh, they, they both... Uh, Won the match, both of them put the fuller leg lock on the two guys that were in the ring with them. Then the Assassins and Billy Spears, uh, they came to, to the set. Uh, they joined Charlie for the first interview. And uh, and obviously Spears talked about the loser, the upcoming tag between the Assassins and Robert and uh, and uh, his his father uh, going to have to leave Southeastern. And, uh, and Billy Spears, pretty good interviewer too, man, and uh, had a lot of heat. Uh, you know, he laughed and made a statement about old man Fuller getting in the ring with his young stars and how easy it was going to be for them to beat that old man and uh, that they had a seat. Uh, they had sent Rick Robert Gibson packing last week uh, in a loser leave match. And uh, now two of the three Fullers were going to be packing this week. And, uh, the you know, Billy said his assassins were going to eliminate one of them in the tag match. And then their good friend, Don Carson, was going to get the other one in a single match. And, you know, that card was probably the biggest night of wrestling in, in that part of the country's history, man. And it was going to make, uh, he said it was going to make his team famous forever when they sent uh, old man Fuller out of there. <laughs> so Mongolian Stomper was next. And uh, wow, as usual, since the day he first arrived there on TV, uh, he almost caused another riot, man. He bursted out of the dressing room like he had been. Nobody expecting him to be on or be next or whatever. And uh, he headed straight for the fans and the bleachers, as he had been doing, man. Uh, it was kind of becoming a tradition, man. And it, after creating all the pandemonium he really liked to do, he finally entered the ring, and then he demolished another opponent, uh, as he had been doing every week. And uh, then uh, he and his manager, Gorgeous George Judah, went to the set. They watched an interview about their upcoming Southeastern Championship defense, the Stompers defense, against one of the best wrestlers in the world at this point was Mr. Wrestling 2. And uh, it was the Stompers' first Southeastern Championship defense against the man in the famous white mask. Uh, wow, he was he was the man in the state right adjoining Alabama in the state of Georgia and uh, a huge star there. And uh, when the interview was over, Gigi explained to the audience that no wrestler anywhere in the world was on a par with his Mongol and that Mr. Wrestling 2 was going to return to Georgia empty-handed, no championship belt, and maybe even hurt. So personality profile was with uh, the new tag champions, Bob Armstrong and Tony Charles. And they had their belts in, the la in their laps uh, during the profile. And the profile was all about how honored they were to be in this part of the country. They thanked the fans for their support. And they talked about how proud they were to be tag champions in one of the hottest wrestling companies in the world. Uh, and that is what we were at that point. Southeastern Gulf Coast down there was truly on fire. Uh, Southeastern wrestling, uh, you know, uh, it was one of the first time fans had heard the name of Southeastern. Mm -hmm. They mentioned, uh, you know, that uh, this company now, Southeastern wrestling, uh, you know, was uh, one of the hottest in the country. And the fans, for the first time, heard the word Southeastern. Hmm. Uh, we're trying to acclimate them at this point 
to get away from Gulf Coast and to go on and become uh, the the real name of the territory. Right. So right. they talked about the powerful card they were on the next week. Uh, both of them said they had never seen an event uh, anywhere in the world that had two loser leave matches in the same night. They had been all over the world. They'd never wrestled in the card that had two loser leave matches in the same night. And they talked about their upcoming opponents on that tremendous card, uh, who was uh, David Schultz and uh, Sir Winston, this new guy from Europe. Uh, and then Tony Charles told fans about that great star, the history of this guy named Sir Winston from Europe. Uh, he really set the groundwork for fans to realize that this guy is another one of these, he's another Tony Charles, and that he had many fantastic with him matches with uh, Sir Winston in Europe, and that the fans were going to see one of the greatest wrestlers in the world. Uh, Bob Armstrong uh, then put over David Schultz, who was going to be their opponent uh, in the, in the uh, championship tag match with Sir Winston. And, uh, you know, uh, Bob made a very astute prediction, man, uh, during this personality profile uh, that's going to actually come true many years later, about 40 years later to be exact. Uh, Bob predicted that David Schultz was going to become a Hall of Famer. And by golly, it happened, like I said, but it was a long time before that occurred. But I remember him making that boast about uh, Schultz being that good. So, um, wow. Uh, wow. Great profile. Yeah, so Bob yeah, so. predicted that in 1978, and you said 40 years later he made it. So, well, yeah. uh, in fact, uh, about two years ago he was inducted into yeah. the Hall of Fame. Wow. Uh, so, All right. Hey, and that, I think he was already in the WWE Hall of Fame, but he was inducted yeah. in the NWA Hall of Fame too. Yeah. Okay. No doubt. Deserved that too. All right. That was a really clean personality profile that build up their opponents and stayed with the concept these profiles were designed to do. So who is next in the ring? Bob Armstrong and Tony Charles went right straight to the ring. And uh, wow, they tore the studio up again, man. As you could imagine, uh, they were two of the world's best at this point. Uh, this show was basically, Dave, becoming a showcase of super wrestlers, man. Uh, they had won their match. Uh, with great teamwork, and uh, they got a standing ovation, obviously, from the studio crowd. And then it came time for that next interview. And David Schultz took the next interview slot. Uh, he took it all, as a matter of fact. Uh, he introduced uh, some video of his new partner, Sir Winston, from Europe, showed a little bit of the action and of, uh, of Sir Winston in the ring, uh, and then did a little short interview about him coming to America. And after the video, Schultz predicted that him and Sir Winston were going to be the next tag champions in the Southeast. And uh, then uh, I was on the last match of the show. But before the match, uh, Charlie and I showed a video of the wild match in which I lost the Southeastern belt to the Mongolian Stomper the week before. Hmm. And it was a crazy one, man. In fact, uh, that match involved no less than eight wrestlers. Wow. Was wow. Uh, which was basically half, more than half of the entire people on the card uh, ended up in the ring on this match. And the Mongolian Stomper, uh, Stomper was there in the ring. Gorgeous George Jr. was there in the ring. Both assassins were there. One of them never got in because Dad booted him in the face and kicked him into the first row. He never got in the ring, but he came to the ring. Billy Spears was there. And uh, obviously me and my father. And, uh, and then the guy who was the reason for this loser leave challenge between me and him was the last guy to come to the ring, and that was Don Carson. And uh, so my father and I, uh, you know, we were, you know, taking care of, taking care of business. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, we watched a video, and uh, there was – Five of them. Uh, we were we were t pretty much taking care of business with all five of these guys. And then uh, <laughs> the jackal himself, man, Don Carson, he arrived with his loaded glove, uh, and that kind of changed everything. And uh, 
And the way he did business was the, the way he took care of it this time. He sneaked up behind my dad with his loaded glove, hit him in the back of the head, didn't have uh, guts enough to hit him in the face uh, like the coward he was. And then, uh, then with the help of others, he put me down and out, and the new champion Mongolian stomper covered me for the win. So fans in the studio, they booed the video, you know, uh, just like it was a live match, like they were watching it, you know, and uh, a lot of them had been, most of them probably, the night before in, uh, in Dothan. So I went to the ring, and I gave them something to cheer about, man. I left my opponent unable to get up, and I put him in the fuller leg lock, and he was the third opponent of the day on TV that had been in the fuller leg lock. So then I went back to the set. Uh, Don Carson was in another studio for the last interview of the show, and uh, he bragged uh, about uh, entirely changing the direction of this wrestling company next week. He said he was very, very uh, uh, to the point about uh, him <laughs> going to change everything in this part of the country. Hmm. He said the assassins were going to get rid of one of the two fullers in the tag match, and he was going to get rid of the second one in the same night. He said, history's going to be made, and it would be the night the fans would never forget. And uh, so I had the opportunity to finish the interview, and uh, and I told him that uh, he's right about it being a history-making event the next week. But I said he had the wrong guys leaving. And I predicted my father and my brother were going to break up uh, the tag team that had dominated uh, tag team wrestling in this part of the country for months, uh, and that one of the assassins was going to be gone, and then I was going to get rid, uh, <laughs> for the fans, I was going to get rid of the stinking skunk of a human being, Don Carson, <laughs> and the studio popped. <laughs> yeah, I bet they did. That is a tremendous TV show. It had a little bit of everything you have to say. I mean, everything. So what about the three major markets where fans got to see this great card? Well, uh, Roy Lee Welch, like I said, it was his first time in the ring uh, since we had uh, opened that uh, territory. And uh, he opened the night with a 20-minute draw with Gorgeous George Jr. Great first match. Uh, he didn't win the match, but he looked pretty good to considering that he hadn't been in the ring for months. Uh, Norville Austin got a great win over a very popular kid, Ricky Fields, who had been a star there uh, before we came, and he had been on a lot of cards since we came. Uh, really good wrestler. Uh, Bob Armstrong, Tony Charles, they successfully defended their tag belts uh, and they beat uh, this newcomer, Sir Winston. He's the guy that lost that tag match. Uh, Mongolian Stomper successfully defended his southeastern belt against Mr. Wrestling Number Two. And uh, and my father and brother uh, sent uh, Assassin Number Two out of the southeastern Gulf Coast territory for good. It was the end of Assassin Number Two. He never came back ever to southeastern wrestling. So. Before we talk about the last match, Dave, you know, I realized when I when I was uh, looking at this card that there was something else very special about this card mm -hmm. uh, that I don't believe ever happened before or after anywhere in the sport. And there were five members of the Welch family on this card. Oh, wow. Ricky wow. Fields. Ricky Fields was my grandfather, Roy Welch's sister's grandson. Mm-hmm. Roy Lee Welch was my grandfather's brother, Lester's son. Mm -hmm. Then I had my father, who was Roy's son, and then me and Rob, who were Roy's grandsons. Wow. Five Welches, five family members on one card. I don't think that probably ever happened in the history of the sport anywhere in the world. That's pretty amazing right there. That's that's really that's really cool. I wonder if any other family in the history of the sport could say that happened. No wonder you come from the largest wrestling family on the planet. So, Stud, what happened in that loser leaves match between you and the one and only Don Carson? Well, it was kind of similar to the one with the stomper in a lot of ways. It took five heels and Don Carson with a loaded glove to send me back to Tennessee, man. I mean, Carson got the win. He got his hand raised. 
but he didn't do it by himself. He didn't even do it with just his loaded glove. You know, it, it, it had a ring full of guys uh, that were all out there to do basically what they had done the week before when they got the southeastern belt off of me and onto the stomper. So after seven months, basically, Dave, as a heated heel, you know, I was a very much, uh, I had a lot of heat. I was a hated heel for seven months in that territory. And in the last month at that, uh, during this time frame, I was a baby face. I basically had established myself in the territory for the rest of my career. Uh, in every city that I lost a loser leave match that week, you know, and, uh, and I lost in the three major cities that were booked in. And I actually had a loser leave with Don Carson in Pensacola mm-hmm. the same week. So in every one of those cities that I lost these loser leave matches that week, hundreds of fans surrounded the ring, man. Uh, and then when I got out of the ring for the last time and was leaving that territory, uh, they all followed me, hundreds of them, to the dressing room. Wow. It was a, it was a really touching, touching uh, moment for me, man. I, I was amazed after uh, seven months as a heel in the eighth month to be that big a, back, that big a su- superstar babyface. Yeah. I mean, it sounds to me like the beginning of a legacy. What can I say, Stud? This has really been another historic stud cast. So how about the attendances for the three major markets, those three? Well, um, Montgomery had 4,200 fans. Big, big. I don't know if Montgomery ever been over 4,000 fans. Mobile was luckily in the big building. We had 7,300 fans. We actually topped a little bit of uh, Harley World Championship in wow. Mobile. Mobile was on fire. Uh, Dothan had 5,500 fans in the Farm Center. And uh, you've been in that building many times. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. It was pretty packed. Yeah. Pretty yeah. darn packed, man. Uh, basically, in those three markets, uh, in those three markets alone, we had 17,000 fans uh, and uh, broke the record from the week before. By a thousand fans, you know, we'd done 16,000 in those three cities. We did 17,000 in this week there. I'm not telling you anything, but that's amazing growth from a territory that was almost dead. I mean, literally dead and only eight months earlier. And you're pulling numbers like that. Can you believe it, Ron? Wow. That's incredible. And can you believe this? We're going to make it to the learning tree question today, Ron. (laughs) We're going to do it. This this one is very appropriate because we had a wrestler injured in this stud cast. So Ronald Albertini from Ottawa, Canada says, were wrestlers paid when injured in territories? Some say wrestlers had to pay out of their own pockets for injuries. How did you handle that? Jeez, man, that's a good question and very appropriate. You're right about that, man. We got an injured wrestler in this one. So, uh, well, Randall, uh, you know, uh, because wrestling promoters own their own territories, uh, they all kind of decided for themselves how they were going to handle injuries, man, uh, how, how they were going to handle pay and if they were going to pay. Uh, there were some territories where injured wrestlers, wrestlers had to pay for their own out of their own pockets, man, when they got hurt. Uh, and uh, sad to say that, but there were some territories like that. And, and uh, you know, word got around pretty quickly, though, when something like that happened. And uh, obviously, if uh, that was the case, those owners probably didn't pay very well either, man. They didn't pay when you were hurt. They didn't pay you too good when you weren't hurt, too, probably. So, you know, it uh, says a lot about guys that didn't, that didn't handle business that way. Uh, there was an old saying, fact, uh, Dave, in, in the wrestling business, you know, when it came to wrestlers talking to each other, uh, the, the old saying was telephone, telegraph, or tell a wrestler. And the uh, word traveled fast <laughs> in the sport between wrestlers. Yeah. And, uh, and, and those owners that weren't paying for injuries suffered because of that, because it didn't take long for wrestlers to say, hey, I got hurt, and by God, they didn't even help me with my – hospital bill wow or you know and and worse than that some were even worse than that so sometimes 
I think it probably depended upon the severity of the injury and whose fault it was. In some cases, uh, if some guy that uh, you know went out there and he tried to do something stupid that he shouldn't have and he got uh, himself hurt, you know, then I don't think under those circumstances uh, that he, that wrestler deserved any compensa- compensation for it, mm-hmm. for that type of injury, you know. Uh, I had guys that, that made uh, foolish mistakes and they got themselves hurt. And uh, and I didn't feel like that I should pay for that. Uh, maybe they'd learn a good lesson if I didn't. Hmm. So uh, in all other cases, though, I paid for guys' injuries. And uh, when guys got legitimately hurt, uh, it just seemed like the thing to do. Uh, anywhere, you know, and wrestlers got hurt in all types of different ways, you know, and I always paid anywhere from the simple stitches. Guy got got a bad cut and they had to go get sewn up. I paid for his bill uh, to guys that, uh, you know, uh, got broken bones set uh, all the way up to guy like Joe LaDuke's neck, neck injury in the blockbusting angle with the Mongolian stomper and gorgeous George Jr. in 1977. Uh, he was in the hospital for a week. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, hospitals aren't cheap and that, uh, that was a, that was a very, very bad deal. And, uh, obviously it wasn't Joe's fault. Uh, I also tried to help with weekly pay, you know, like if somebody got laid up for whatever reason, he got the broken bone or he had to be out for uh, an extended period of time. I always, uh, I, I paid for paid guys, uh, you know, until they could come back to work. Uh, and Kevin Sullivan, who's in this particular stud cast here, is a good example of that. He missed almost two weeks of shows after this Bob Rube shoulder breaker, and uh, and he got a check every week. Uh, and 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 wow, he's a great guy. Kevin Kevin always told me, Ron, I can't believe you treated me as well as you did. Uh, so, Mr. Altini, uh, you know, I think it was the you know, thanks to your question, and, uh, you know, uh, I hope I have answered it properly for you, you know, and I didn't spend a lot of time here, but uh, but I think wrestling promoters and owners made uh, made very good money, man, uh, and, it, and it made sense, man, and, and it was basically the right thing to do. If you were a good guy as a wrestling promoter, it was the right thing to do to help your wrestlers when they couldn't help themselves. Oh, no doubt. Ron, I tell you what, you make these studcasts really special. I'm very proud to be a part of it, and I cannot wait for the next one. I got to tell you, folks, on Facebook, Ron has thousands of Facebook friends on his three sites and appreciates every one of them. The Ron Fuller Welch site is full and cannot take more friends. To become a friend, please go to the Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud page or author Ron Fuller Welch page, like him and follow him there, and you automatically become friends with a legend on Twitter. It's easy on Twitter, Ron Fuller Welch. You can follow him there that simply his YouTube channel, Southeastern rewind, Southeastern rewind on YouTube filled with all kinds of information, videos, stud cast. It also a great place to find out more about what's new on the tremendous streaming channel called classic continental wrestling.com classic continental wrestling.com He's where you find everything that is the Tennessee stud. His old school Southeastern, Continental, and USA TV shows now number in the hundreds. There are six two-hour stars of the sport. Super stud cast with Andre the Giant, Mankind, Mick Foley, Ron Wright, Bob Armstrong, Ronnie Garvin, former NWA champ Terry Funk, and Stan Hansen, all with photos from beginning to end. Chapters 9 and 10 of Ron's thrilling lion story, Brutus, is now there too in audio form. Four superstars of the past episodes are up. Three three-hour documentaries and well over 300 hours of fascinating wrestling entertainment. And it grows weekly. Subscribe now and begin the wrestling ride of your life. Only $4.99 per month. Or $39.99 per year, it gets you the best old school wrestling streaming channel on the planet. Don't forget, the one week free trial is still available. It's the best deal in wrestling. All right, so where are we riding next week, stud? 
Well, we're going to head into southeastern Knoxville's next Coliseum event with Garvin and Malenko. They're going to be in a boxing match. Very, very rare deal. Ten-round boxing match. Uh, and this one has really got a different uh, type of clause added to it. Uh, if Malenko loses the boxing match, he's going to throw $500 in cash out into the crowd. So, gosh, I'm wondering about this one already, man, about how, uh, how many lawsuits I'm going to get when when dollar bills start flying out into the ringsiders, you know, uh, if my Linko loses. Uh, then the table's uh, going to turn on Ron Wright. Uh, he's become, this time in the next uh, Sudcast, he is going to become the bounty target. And uh, and new star Ken Lucas is going to be going after the bounty, and Kevin Sullivan is going to be putting up the money. So uh, then we're entering the TV rating period of November 1978 uh, with another great show there on television, plus the results of the Knoxville card and the attendance we'll talk about. And then we're going to ride man, into the red-hot southeastern Gulf Coast where the tag champions Armstrong and Charles are the good fend against a brand new team there. Uh, uh, one of the assassins is gone. He lost the loser lead. Uh, I'm gone. And uh, Don Carson is going to team up with the other assassin. He's going to allow Billy Spears to manage him. And uh, they're going to become a team that's going to go after Armstrong and Charles's tag team championship. Uh, Robert Fuller is going to go after Stomper's Southeastern title. And uh, there's going to be a great four corners match on this card uh, that's going to have great, four great wrestlers in it. And those four corner matches were really great for fans. They loved them. Uh, the TV rating period is on there in the Gulf Coast, just like it is up north on the Knoxville TV. It's all around the country, mm -hmm. these rating periods, all in the same, mm -hmm. in the same uh, weeks, uh, uh, four times a year. And uh, we'll be talking about the results of that big event. And we'll also talk about the attendances in those three major cities down south. And then we, we get the opportunity. We're going to have another learning tree question like we did this week. And uh, hopefully we'll have another time, enough time for another one next week. And I want to thank everybody, uh, everybody out there for your support and listening today. Uh, Please tell your friends about us out there. Uh, take good care of yourselves and others, and may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at David Summers Productions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.